So welcome this morning. My name is Darren Davis, senior pastor here, along with an amazing team. I have the privilege to share the word of the Lord with you, especially first-time guests. Can we give it up for all the first-time guests today, Harbor family? It's so awesome to have you here. Welcome. As we look into this beautiful concept, uh, happy Passover and Resurrection Sunday, amen, of all things being made new. It's such a beautiful thought uh, that we actually ponder here every Sunday. So we'd love to have you back again and come experience the culture weekly, daily, that we as believers here at the harbor live. But this morning what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes and have you come along with me into a construction zone where the Father through His Son Jesus made all things new in the world. Opening up for us, and here's what our, 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 our hope is today, that I want to see revelation come to all of our hearts, that we can have wholeness of heart, wholeness of heart on the inside, lives that are transformed, transformed people who are in fact from that space transforming culture. Now we're going to look into some questions this morning, but they're not questions that I'm actually putting on you or demanding on you. They're questions that I've been wrestling through for my 25-year-plus walk with the Lord. I love what Archibald McLeish says. He says, religion is at its best when it makes us ask hard questions of ourselves. It is at its worst when it deluded us into thinking we have all the answers for everybody else. So during our time together, I'm going to explore these questions that I've been walking through. Number one, what is the crucifixion? Why? What is the significance of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? And how does that equate to our transformation? And lastly, which I think is so important for my life and hopefully for yours, what is the key to unlocking this new life in our lives? Now, Wendy and I don't watch a whole lot of television, but when we do our favorite go-tos, which we record, by the way, on the DVR. Can I get an amen right there? I don't like, I don't do commercials. It's a commercial-free zone at our house, right? Um, but we, we love watching anything to do with home. For us, something about a home is just so wonderful to explore through these television programs. We, just the other night, we were watching Log Cabin Living. How many of you all just wish sometimes you could just be in a log cabin on the top of a mountain? Right? Especially being from Florida, right? Tiny house. Hey. I don't know how people do it, but I love watching the program. All right. Going RV, man. One day, hey, you never know. When we retire, we could just hit the, hit the open roads. Can I get him in? Um, house hunters. You know, good, good programs like this. But what we especially like are the renovation home shows. You know the ones I'm talking about where the home's in this awesome location, but either has a major design flaw or simply in a very, very poor condition, and people like the Property Brothers come in, right? Flip or flop, right? Rehab addict, you know, that little woman that just can turn an old house into something beautiful. It's amazing. Our fixer-upper, I, I think that's probably one of the most favorite ones right now, right? But the one that we really love kind of watching for the drama is the one called Love It or List It. Are you guys familiar with that one? Love it or list it. Because the drama plays out because you got one spouse who is just completely done with the house, right? And she wants... She... Could be the guy too, right? Wants out and wants to relocate into something turnkey. 
Usually because, you know, don't have a vision, can't really see what the, the, the potential of the property could be like if they left it up to the designer, right? So then on the other side, you got a spouse who is sentimentally attached to the house in some way, you know, oh, we lived all of our lives here and our babies grew up here and stuff, and so they're fighting to stay in the home, right? And every single episode on Love It or List that you've got David facing off with Hillary, right, trying to pull these owners to their side where David tries to convince them that there is no way that Hillary is going to be able to fix this house to their dream and their desire, right? And then on the other side, you got Hillary telling him, hey, listen, no matter what house David finds for you, it's going to be way out of the area that you want to live in. It's, your kids aren't going to be able to go to school where they're going right now. And um, what, I, what I just drives me crazy when I watch this program is someone always gets into it with Hillary thinking that their design idea is better than her design idea, right? And then later in the, in the big reveal, they realized, oh my God, what was I thinking that I offered her this advice? You know, I mean, we all think we're designers, right? But, but there's professionals out there that do it way better. And then the show always concludes, come on, go with me here, with the question, are you going to or listen, right? Are you going to love it or listen? I want to do today, just take us into... What I want to show you is the, the greatest reveal, in my opinion, in human history, talking about the renovation of the human heart, done by Jesus, uh, sent by the Father, and we see the story of this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. This can be a scary book, Revelation, right? Like, oh my gosh, do we want to enter into there? I mean, there's dragons, there's angels, you know, there's flashes of lightning. But I want to just go there for a minute because I want to I want to show you something I believe very powerful today that's going to really give us some insight and, and, and talk about those questions that I posed at the beginning. So in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, John is writing and he says, I am your brother and companion in tribulation, the kingdom and patience that I found in Jesus. And he goes on to say that he was exiled on uh, the island of Patmos for the ministry. Think about this. For the ministry of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus being risen from the dead. Now, he was the only one of the original disciples that did not lose his life for sharing this message. He was on the inner core, the inner three uh, of closest ones to Jesus, along with his brother James and Peter. And he is exiled onto this island that tradition claims he lived for almost 120 years. And when he passed away, they say that his body was never found. Only his sandals were left there. Some, some theologians believe he was actually taken to heaven. We don't really know. It's just supposition. But here's what I want to point out. The single most important thing that happened to John during his X number of years on the Isle of Patmos is the encounter that he has with the ascended Jesus who is appearing to him in a perfected state. Complete renovation to his body, to his spirit, to his soul, appearing before John. He tells the story in verse 10 and following. He says, I was in the spirit realm, so he's taken into this encounter, and I heard behind me a loud voice sounding like a trumpet. Now listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, I want you to write, it's Jesus speaking to him, I want you to write in a book what you see. You see, in order to see something, we've got to be able to perceive what we're seeing, right? 
How many of you have tried to make something out and when you can't see it? It was amazing the other night, yesterday actually, we, we took our dog to get her groomed and Wendy had taken her collar off and Wendy was like 30 yards away from Mia and she with her little beady Maltese eyes could make out that Wendy was making her way to her with her, with her collar. I was like, that is amazing. You know, I, was in, I was in awe of our dog that she was able to perceive what Wendy was coming towards her with, this collar, because she was able to see it. And so John is here, and he says, I want you to write in the book what you, what you see and send it to the seven churches. Now, these are literal churches of the day, so, so it's, it's just a literal expression of the churches that were on the planet. But I also believe it's metaphorical, because Jesus knew that this message was going to go out not only to those churches, but all the churches and the big C church throughout human history. Are you following me? And he says in verse 12, when I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands, these churches. And walking among, the, so walking among the lampstands, so Jesus, listen, this is a mystery, but he somehow, though we may not be able to perceive it, he is in our midst. Walking among those churches back then, the churches throughout human history, and this church here this morning. That is powerful. I'm, I sit here every Sunday, and I'm just like, God, the biggest miracle is that you show up in this space every single time that we gather in your name. It's amazing. He begins to describe Jesus, you know, wearing this full-length robe, his hair white as wool, his eyes like flames of fire, his feet gleaming like bright metal, verse 15, his voice like the sound of many rushing waters, out of his mouth is coming the word of God, and his face shining like the brightness of the sun, verse 16. Now what's profound about this is knowing that John was one of the closest people to Jesus during his time on the earth is his response as he sees this resurrected one in perfection appearing before him in this encounter. It says that when he saw him, verse 17, that he fell down on his face as if he was a dead man. There was something so amazing about the difference that he saw even after compared to the resurrection from the dead when he appeared to him, Jesus appeared to John and his disciples for 40 days. There was even something more profound by seeing him in this perfected state of the renovation of Father on the firstborn Jesus of many brethren that are supposed to enter into this reality. In fact, he was so in awe of this, he was afraid. And Jesus says, do not yield to fear, for I am the beginning and the end. You know, a lot of times we think about our own lives, like, God, what are you up to? And, and sometimes it seems a little scary, like, what are, what are you up to with the work in my own heart? And he says to us, if you can hear him this morning, don't be afraid. What I start, I will for sure finish in you. You didn't begin this, I did. I initiated this. You're just along for the yes ride. Amen? Verse 18, Jesus tells them, I am the living one. I was dead, but now look. I am alive forever and ever. And look at this. He says, I am the one who holds the keys that unlocks death and the unseen world if you would come with me on this journey. I think so often we undersell what's possible for us as believers while we're here on the earth. This was the message that was not to go to those in heaven, but was to go to those on the earth. 
his instruction to John in verse 19, he said, I want you to write down what you have seen. Now check this out. What you have seen that is and what will be after the things that I will reveal for you. So there's already stuff happening, but there's even more potential if you could get this word out for them to really step into I think for years and years as a church, we have operated and, and, and done well in the gospel of salvation. What he's up to, bring, bringing souls to Jesus, spirits being renewed. But, but what he's after in this hour is something far greater. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's his reign. It's his rule coming down into the human heart to see this renovation process complete. He's not waiting for heaven to renovate us in the way that he longs to do. He doesn't want broken lives on this earth. He wants whole people that are filled with functional reality as it relates to their marriages and their kids and the people that they interact with. The price on the cross was not paid for us to live in our dysfunction and our brokenness, y'all. There is more. He has made all things new. Now to see what was happening... And what is happening and what will happen, we need to fast forward to the end of the book. So look with me. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. He says, I heard this thunderous voice from the throne saying, now this is amazing. This is what happened when Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and ascended to heaven. It says, look, God's tabernacle or his home is now with human beings. And from now on, he will tabernacle or live with them as their God, and God himself will have his home with them. God with them will be their God. So if he himself has been fully restored, and he is now going to live with us, what do you think the leaven that's on the inside of him is going to have as an effect on us? Total transformation. Just being aware that Jesus is in our midst has the power to change our lives forever. If we could just perceive it, we'd see it. So there's no longer, listen to me, because of what happened on the cross, no longer any distance between mankind and God. You know how many people out there think that God is so far off and he doesn't really care about anything that's going on in their lives and he's untouchable? That's what I used to think about God. But now we've been brought into this union unto not only just being one, but cohabitating with each other. That's amazing. So no distance. And then he says in verse 4, he said that he's going to wipe away every tear from his eye, from their eyes, and eliminate death entirely. No longer will anybody mourn or weep. The pain of wounds will no longer exist, for that old order has ceased. So here's what you've got to catch. There is no longer any distance, but there's also no longer any delay in his engagement of the brokenness of our lives. In fact, even death itself has been swallowed up. I don't have time to go into this, but Paul said, listen, we were once dead before Christ. Now I am alive. So when he transitioned Paul himself from this life to the next life, he just went from life to even more life. After this, Jesus makes the statement of all the ages. I love this statement. He says, as God enthroned spoke to me and said, consider this, ponder this. That's what he said. Would you consider this? I am making everything to be new. If he could get this message into John and he could understand it as the revelator, he could get it into us. 
Write down at once what I've told you because each word is trustworthy and dependable. Listen, my friends, this is the beauty about God. He is not like us, that he could lie. What he says is yes and amen. There will be a generation that says, oh, my God, this is what you said. This is what I believe. God, let it flow through me and let it manifest in my day. Now, years ago, most of you hopefully would remember this, but there was a movie called The Passion of the Christ. I was just out in Colorado with Jesse. Last week, we, we were there for a couple of days, and, and uh, we had a free night, and I just went on to the television, and, and a lot of the, the, the movies that they show during this season of the year were on, and one of them was Passion of the Christ, and it just reminded me about that movie. And in fact, I believe it's, it's one of the most graphic, yet theological, theologically accurate, in my opinion, depiction of both the beating and the subsequent crucifixion that's ever been produced. I was actually just talking to Sam before the service. I actually think they went a little light on the beating, which was horrific. Because the Bible says, and Sam brought this on Friday night, everybody needs to come back next year for Good Friday. It just sets the stage for the whole weekend. It's incredible. Sam just crushed it on Friday night. But the Bible says that he was beaten so badly pre-cross that his, his visible face was unrecognizable. That it says he doesn't even look like a human when they were done with him. And I remember, if you, who watched the, the movie in here? Do you guys remember seeing it? And I remember when I was watching this movie, I was like, I just can't, I was, we weren't even to the crucifixion. I was like, I can't take this anymore. I don't want to see this. This is scary. This is ugly. This is brutal. This is evil. They were murdering an innocent man. On a torture device. I mean, we wear the cross proudly today, but back then the cross was shameful. It was, it was a torture device used by an empirical empire to put fear in the hearts of people. Like, if you mess with our kingdom, if you, if you even get so much in the way, we will roll over you. We will embarrass you. We will shame you. We will hang you naked on a cross and we will crucify you. But the focus of this movie was, was really on nothing but that, the innocent torture of a man by the name of Jesus in Nazareth. Now, I believe the most powerful scene in the movie, for those of you that remember this, was Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, and raised him from his childhood, which is such a profound thought if you think about that. The Son of God incarnate. She raises him. And after he is beaten, we know this from the scriptures, he's, he's told to carry his cross along the Via Della Rosa, the, the way of the cross, right, to Golgotha where he's going to be crucified. And she's following him along the route, do you remember? Watching her son, and, and she's flashing back as he's falling at different times, and thinking to times when he as a little boy would fall and scrape his knee. And she as a mom would come in and pick him up and brush him off and hold him and just say, son, everything's going to be okay, my little baby boy. So as she's watching him along the way, she instinctively, as his mother, 
wants to rescue him, and she actually goes to him. And, and the disciples, are, or James, is warning him, don't, no, 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 don't. You don't want to mess with the Romans. They'll crucify you too. But she just runs to him and holds him. And then he makes a very powerful statement to her. And Mary instinctively as a mom thinks, I'm going to rescue my son. And he's like, Mom, not this time. I've got to continue on. Because in doing so, I'm going to make all things new, even for you, Mom. Do you remember years ago there was a song at Christmas that was called Mary, Did You Know? And it would sing about Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day heal the blind man? You know, just kind of asking those questions. Did you know? Did you know who you were raising? But the one powerful line in the song that I think goes with this movie clip is when the song says, Mary, did you know that the baby that you delivered will one day deliver you? And that was the moment she she was able to perceive her need for transformation that was going to come out of the act of laying down his life for her. You see, this was no doubt a murder of an innocent man propagated by humanity, including us, against Jesus. But we need to understand that he willingly allowed his life to be taken because it was the methodology by going to the cross as a sacrificial lamb that was going to be able, thus, from that, to make everything new again. John ten eleven says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus speaking, that lays down my life as a sacrifice for the sheep. I love this next verse because as Sam was talking on Friday, they were mocking him. Take yourself down, save yourself, king of the Jews, just ridiculing him. But he said before the cross in verse 18, I surrender my own life. No one has the power to take it from me. In fact, I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the power to take it back up again. Talk about a bold statement, man. That is a man right there making a statement. That is powerful. In fact, he says, this is the actual destiny that my father has for me. I'm going to go and die. You're going to crucify me because I'm laying my life down, and then I'm going to pick it right back up again. So, Darren, why the beatings? Why was he scourged beyond recognition? Why the crucifixion? Well, Sam spoke on this on Friday, but I just for the sake of of context here, I need to just share this with you. Isaiah 53, who who saw this long before it happened, it says in verse 3, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest realms of grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. You know what's amazing? You need to think about this. His rejection was because of our rejection. And he took it on himself. The grief he carried was our grief. I was just sitting in first service with a lady back here who just lost her son. And I'm not going to go up to her and say, I have all the answers for you. I just looked at her and I said, I have no words. I can't even imagine the grief that you're feeling losing your son. But I know one who does. Our rejection became his rejection. 
He continues in verse 4. It was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought, his, now you've got to hear this, we thought his troubles were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Why did Isaiah th- say that? Because that's what we actually think about God. I know in this room there's people, when bad stuff is happening to you, when you've gone through trials, when maybe you were molested, maybe you've been through a, 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 a divorce, maybe you've been betrayed on the highest level, the enemy's in your face saying, you deserve this. This is recompense for all your wrongdoing, and that is nothing farther from the truth. Jesus took all of that on himself. And carried it for us. Because we can't carry it. Do we think we're going to be made righteous by enduring hardships or troubles or persecution or whatever? It says in verse 5, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord, you've got to catch this, laid on him the sins of us all. I believe the reason he was sweating drops of blood in the garden was those sins were starting to come, they were coming on him. It's the pressure. Can you imagine a holy, blameless, innocent son of God who knew no sin became sin for us? Well, how does that equate to our transformation? Well, in verse 11, he says, when the prophet says, when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish. This is proof to me of the resurrection right here. Even if my life hadn't been changed. I could look at this and, and see, oh my gosh, he did rise from the get, dead. Because you can't see in a grave. You can't see in a dark hole that's six feet under. But when he rose again, he saw that all was going to be accomplished by his anguish, and he was going to be satisfied. It says, because of his experience, he says, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous because he will bear, cabal, carry all their sins. He carried the sins, and then he took them into the grave from which they had originated. Did you know you were never meant to die? You were never meant to be sick. You were never meant to be broken. You were never meant to be tormented. You were never meant to have anxiety. You were never meant to have worry. In the garden, all that place that surrounded Adam was a place of perfection. And all that other junk came in at the fall. Jesus took it upon himself, and then he took that stuff right in the grave. Colossians 2, verse 12, it says, For we have been buried with him into his death. Our baptism into death also, come on, means that we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power. Can you perceive it today? The power that raised him from death's realm. In fact, he says in verse 13, this realm of death, oh, come on, come on, describes our former state, who we once were before we met Jesus. For we were held in sin's grasp, but now we have been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, forever alive in this life. 
all things new. It's what's possible if we can perceive it. Look at this. He canceled, verse 14, every legal violation on our record, an old arrest warrant that stood to invite us. Do you know today, if you get a felony, it's on your record forever, and it's almost impossible to get a job. How much does Jesus have compassion for those kind of people? Because he knows in his kingdom it gets canceled. It gets taken off the record. It's no longer able to be held against him. In fact, he says in verse, he says, he erased it all, our sins, our stained soul, that it deleted it, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed on the cross, nailed there permanently as a public display of cancellation. Oh, it gets better. It was a once and for all reality. Verse 15, Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities and darkness. You see, a lot of times we think, oh, the devil's so big and darkness is so big and sin is so great. But it says that he made a public spectacle of them, stripping away from them every weapon and their spiritual authority to accuse you. The next time that happens, you tell the devil to go back to the pit of hell where he belongs because he has no authority over you anymore. Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. And he was not their prisoner. They were his. Amen. We're going to think about resurrection. Because in Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10, it says, For he is the complete fullness of deity, living in human form. Our own completeness is now found in Him. And we are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness. What John saw, oh my God, overflows from us as the message gets out. Please hear me. I love it on these Sundays that people are going to walk the aisle and they're going to get a ticket to heaven. But trust me, there is way more than us just being able to get out a hell free card because God wants us to literally get hell to hell while we're on this earth and bring heaven into the realms where there's been darkness. circumcision of the heart all the guilt and all the power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ the anointed one has accomplished for us